1 Corinthians 2. We've been looking at the filling of the Spirit, and we're working up towards that passage in Ephesians where it talks about, have you been filled with the Spirit? And as we do, we're really looking at this question, uh, are you filled with the Spirit? Do you know what it is to walk in the power of the Spirit of God? I think Maria Monson's question was just absolutely incredible. If she met you, she would say to you, are you born again? And if you said, yes, I'm born again, she would then ask you, are you filled with the Spirit? And so many people, so many <clears throat> spiritual people, so many people that were leaders uh, in, in, in the ministry she was involved in, uh, really couldn't answer it. Some of the stories are just fascinating when you, when you read that they could not answer the question, are they filled with the Spirit? And I think even to this day, many of us kind of uh, are not sure. You know, we know we should be. Uh, we've heard enough preaching and teaching. We've read enough about it to know, listen, it's the only way. Uh, but we're not sure. Now, if we're not filled with the Spirit, then <clears throat> the other option is we're walking in the flesh. There isn't a middle ground. Nice people, but not filled with the Spirit. Good Christians, but not filled with the Spirit. We use some terms sometimes that are, that are uh, strange. There's only really spiritual Christians that are filled with the Spirit. Now, uh, I'm sure nobody's going to claim that they're filled with the Spirit all the time. If you claim that, you're probably missing it because you're not filled all the time. Uh, If you're filled with the Spirit, a couple of things there. You ought to know it. It ought to be something that you know. Now, it's possible that, you know, the reason you don't know it is because, you know, you're uninformed of the terminology and so on. But as you look at it, you come to the place where you understand, yeah, well, you know what I am. That's possible for you. Um, but you ought to know it. ought to be a reality in your life. There ought to be that place where you can say, I am filled with the Spirit. That's the reality of my life. Now, this morning we're going to talk about three different people, three different characters, and they all come here from uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And Paul, is, Paul lays them out for us here in Corinthians. Now, remember, when he's talking to, 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 to the Corinthian people, he's talking to believers. He's talking to the church. He's talking to us. Now, he's writing a letter, and he's talking to us, and he's talking to... Now, we do know about the, about the Corinthian church, that the Corinthian church had some problems. It had some major problems. In fact, it had every major problem that a, that a, that a believing people can actually have. And um, it's kind of, you know, it's the book that you go through uh, when you want to hit all the sins that everybody is doing because they're all in there. Right? Corinth was a wicked place, but he's talking to, 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 to these people in the church. And as he talks to these people, he's kind of <clears throat> coming up to dealing with some heavy-duty stuff, but he's dealing with basic things first. And basic to this whole thing is, where are you as far as the filling of the Spirit is concerned? Don't let's make it complicated and difficult and something that you know, we can't be sure of, nobody knows. When somebody tells you nobody knows whether, you can be, whether you're saved or not, what do you immediately assume? They're not saved. When somebody says, nobody knows whether you're filled with the Spirit or not, immediately you're thinking, you know what? You're not, are you? Now, and, and it, it, it's a critical issue. This is not a status symbol. Well, I'm filled with the Spirit. It's not like that. If we get it kind of twisted like that, what happens is we end up not having it. And we end, end, end up having to portray a picture that's not real. The filling of the Spirit, you know, is not some <clears throat> badge of honor that you receive at a certain point. It's the reality of the Christian life. See, apart from being filled with the Spirit, I'm not really living the Christian life. Now, I can be a good person. 
I can be a religious person. I can be somebody who's everybody thinks is a nice guy. But it's not really the Christian life. And a big problem for us in our day and age is simply this. The Christians are not living the Christian life because they're not able. They don't have the power to do it. And the power is available. Now, it's not something that you should look at and, and, and you should come to the place, oh, I feel bad because I'm not one of those in people that's filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is for every believer. It's for every, it doesn't happen automatically. All the things in the, in, in the Christian life don't happen, happen automatically. But it's for every believer. It's for you. You say, well, I'm only saved three weeks. doesn't matter. It's for you. You're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. Well, you say, well, I'm, uh, I've been saved for 10 years and I'm not filled with the Spirit. It doesn't matter. You're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. You can be filled with the Spirit. It is, it is for every believer. It's not some badge that you earn. You know, like the Boy Scouts where you earn your badge. Not some badge that you earn. It's the reality of the Christian life. Now, in order for you to be filled, though, you have to be emptied of you. And that's our big problem. Being emptied of us. <clears throat> All right, that's a word of prayer, and then we will read our text this morning. Father, would you bless us this morning as we look to your word? Would you help us, Lord? Uh, Lord, these, these are key truths. These are so important to us, and yet, Lord, we can be so foggy about them. Now, Lord, clear the fog away. Blessed Spirit of the living God, you're more interested in what's going on in this room than I am or anybody else in this room is. And, Lord, we do call upon you. We call upon you to use your power uh, to take the word, Lord, and to apply it to hearts and lives that it might be real for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, <clears throat> we're starting at verse 14, and we're going to read across the chapter division into chapter 3. Now, understand this, that we put in the chapter divisions just to make it easy for us to read the Bible. Sometimes what you're going to find is you're going to find that the chapter division is actually breaking a thought. And you can, you, what you can do in your mind, you can just ignore the chapter division there and read straight through. That's what we're going to do right now. Clearly, the chapter division uh, here is breaking a thought for us, and we're going to keep the thought together by reading across the chapters. Okay, So understand that the chapters are just to make it easier for us. Right? Um, <clears throat> verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? And walk as men. For why one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos? Are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he that planteth, neither, <clears throat> neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. All right? <clears throat> so we're looking here at uh, three different people. We're looking at the natural man. We're looking at the spiritual man, and we're looking at the carnal man. Three different people. Now, the first one that we come across here uh, is our natural man, right? <clears throat> but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Right? <clears throat> now, why don't you see the chart here for a second, and we're going to talk about the natural man here first. 
The natural man is those who have not trusted Christ's death to pay for their sins, and thus Christ does not live in them. And a little picture there helps you with it. Uh, what you've got is you've got the throne of your life, the rulership of your life, and in this oneself is on the throne, and the cross, Christ the Holy Spirit, is outside the circle of your life. You're doing your own thing, living your own way. Now, we've all been there. All of us have been there, right? We've all been in the place where uh, God was outside the circle. Now, it may have been that you came to the place where you kind of wanted him in, but he wasn't in. You were doing your own thing, living your own life, and he was outside the circle. You were unsaved. Now, what our verse says is this. Our verse says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Let me give you my experience. Right Before I got saved, right 30 years ago now, before I got saved, Val uh, <clears throat> got saved first, and she left tracts around the house for me to read, and she encouraged me to read the Gospel of John. Right? Now, I wasn't entirely happy with the whole situation, but I tried to read the Gospel of John. And it was rubbish to me. Honestly, it was it was like a dictionary. I couldn't make head nor tail of it. I remember reading it and thinking, what has she got me reading this for? It makes absolutely zero sense to me. It was a chore. It was a burden. It was a labor uh, to try and read it. But then something happened. One night, the Spirit of God brought conviction in my life, and I got saved. And the next day after work, I distinctly remember coming in home and taking out my Bible to read it, and it was like somebody had rewritten it. All of a sudden, what was a dictionary came to the place where it was like a love letter. It was personal. It was very clear. Uh, it was intense. It was amazing how much it actually meant to me, and how much it had changed for me in, a, in the matter of a few hours. Now, what happened there? What happened there was, I was a natural man, and I got saved, and the Spirit of God stepped in, and it changed for me. Now, now don't feel bad. You, you may not be able to identify completely with that, and, and let me say this to you. Not everything in the Word of God made sense to me. Uh, you know, it was a long time before things began to make sense. So if you feel like, listen, I'm just saved, and you know, a lot of stuff is not making sense to me, maybe, no, 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 not saying that at all, right? Uh, if you're saved, well, here's what you do notice when you get saved. It's different. It changes. It's, it's completely different, because before you were a natural man, you were in the place where you were in control of your life, and the things of God didn't make sense to you. Right? <clears throat> You know, I, it, it always makes me feel bad. People that come to church uh, week in and week out, and they've never been saved. They've never come to the place where they trust Christ. I was one of the you poor thing. You, none of this makes any sense to you. This is just this is just awful for you. This is just a chore. This is you doing the religious thing. This is you just being here uh, and making it happen. You see, <clears throat> when you get saved and the Spirit of God steps in, who is the interpreter of the Word of God, what happens is now there's a connection point in you with what He's saying to you. There's actually a place in you that responds to, to what he's saying. It becomes real. And at the moment that you get saved, the Spirit of God comes in. And let me say this too. We're talking about the filling of the Spirit. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I suppose this is true. And this is just from what I see in people and what I see in my own life. I suppose that <coughs> every believer is aware of the Spirit of God in them at some level in their lives. They're aware of the Spirit of God somewhere. 
They may not be able to say they're filled with the Spirit, but there's something going on. The Spirit is there. There's, there's, there's something happening. They're, they're aware of it at some point in their lives. So that when you get saved and the Spirit comes in, the Word changes. It becomes different. There's, there's light. There's, there's understanding. There's God doing something in your life, and, and you change. Because the Spirit of God has come in. You've been washed in the blood. You've been cleansed from your sins. You've been reconciled with God. And the Spirit of God comes in and it's different. Spiritual things become different for you after you're saved. <clears throat> that's, that's all that's saying. And the natural man, you know what? He can't receive them. By the way, when it comes to you witnessing to people, do you know what? The natural man can't receive the things, receive the things of, of God. You can talk in eloquent terms about the reality of a relationship with God, and you go, yeah, yeah. And you go back in and watch a football game. Because he doesn't receive them. He's not getting them. Now, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So you know, you've got to get the gospel out there because the gospel is what causes the explosion that changes somebody from being a natural man uh, to being a spiritual man. But understand that, you know... Lost people out there, they're not going to kind of jump up and down and be happy about what you've got to say. They don't get it. You know, they don't get it. And, uh, and until the Spirit of God brings conviction of sin and they say yes to God, they're not going to get it. It doesn't mean you don't deliver the bomb that's going to do it for them, but understand it, that, that you know, they're not going to get it until the Spirit of God does His work and, and they yield and they say yes uh, to God. Right? But that's the natural man. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Don't be surprised when they laugh at you. They think you're a joke. That's perfectly understandable. He doesn't see the things of God. <clears throat> um, uh, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Right? So he's not going to get it. He's not going to understand it. But you keep bringing the gospel, and the gospel will do the work under the power of the Holy Spirit to bring in conviction, and somebody can get saved. And now all of a sudden there's a change. And you meet somebody who's gotten saved and, you know what, now there's a fellowship. Now there's a kinship between you because, you, you, you know, listen, the Spirit's speaking to the Spirit. There's, there's a reality between you. <clears throat> but that happens uh, <clears throat> when somebody gets saved. And the, the second character that Paul is talking about here is he's talking about the spiritual person. Now the spiritual person uh, <clears throat> is quite interesting. He say, Paul says this, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. And doesn't that sound arrogant? I always read that, that sounds arrogant to me. You know, Paul said at one point, he said this, he said, it's a small thing with me to be judged of you. I don't even judge myself. And what he means here, he explains in the next verse. <clears throat> For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, being spirit-filled means I have the mind of Christ. I have the thinking of Christ. I'm not walking in my own way. I'm walking in His way. I'm not doing my own thing. I'm doing what He wants. Now, you know what? <clears throat> if, if Christ was here in, in person, you know, standing here on the platform, none of us would presume to judge Him. None of us would presume, presume to say, oh, why are you doing that? You know, you can't do that here. You know, we wouldn't, we, we wouldn't be doing whatever he did is whatever he did. And, you know, we, we, we'd be happy and excited about what he did. When somebody really has the mind of Christ, that's what's happening. They're doing what God wants. Now, I understand you don't trust anybody like that, do you? 
But you're, you're not talking about trusting a person here. You're talking about trusting the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the issue here. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but unto, as unto carnal, even as unto babes uh, in Christ. Sorry, uh, the, the first verse is the one that we're, we're going after that. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind. It's, it's the mind of Christ. Being Spirit-filled means this. I have the mind of Christ. I, now, I wonder... If we, if we take it on that basis, do you have the mind of Christ? Is that the reality of your life, that you're doing what he would have you to do? Or are you doing what you would want to do? Maybe you're stepping it up a notch, and you're doing what he would want you to do, what would you think uh, he would want you to do, but you're doing what you want to do anyway. Do you have the mind of Christ? Is it Christ that leads and guides in your life? Look... <clears throat> Look at our next chart here. <clears throat> the spiritual person. Those who have trusted Christ as their Savior and are trusting in, their, in the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. The spiritual person has invited Christ into his or her life and has allowed him to take control through the Holy Spirit. The person therefore yields to Christ's direction. All right, so here's the picture. The picture is the throne of your life, the rulership of your life. Christ is on the throne and you're at his feet. He's the one that's in charge. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that's doing what he wants to do. Now, <clears throat> that sounds kind of strange to us on the one hand, and on the other hand, it sounds kind of sweet, doesn't it? Because we get weary running our own lives, don't we? We get sick and tired carrying it all, all the things we got to think about and all the things we got to do. And it's so much easier to think of him being in control, him being in charge of our lives, him being the one that's guiding in our lives. <clears throat> now, what are the things that, 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 that hinder us from having him be in control of our lives? Well, let me give you some of them, right? <clears throat> we could go through a long list, but let me go, let's go through some. First of all, there's deception. We can be deceived. We can think, you know what? If I do what he wants me to do, who knows what's going to happen? What I want to happen probably won't happen. He'll just take me and he'll leave. And we're deceived into thinking that we have a better way. No, we don't. And if, if, if we sit down and talk rationally to each other, we know we don't have a better way, but we can be deceived into thinking we have a better way and um, we're not going to yield control of our lives. We're not going to put ourselves at his disposal and do whatever he wants to, us to do. We're not going to be a doormat for anybody, including God. And so what we do is we don't let him have total control. Now, I, I, I said this to you a moment ago. You know, everybody has a measure of the Spirit. Every believer has a measure of the Spirit. Romans, in fact, tells you that if you haven't got a measure of the Spirit, you know, you're not saved, right? But <clears throat> the reality of our lives is pretty simple when it comes to being spiritual or being carnal. Either I'm in control or he's in control. Either I'm in charge or he's in charge. Right? You, you, you've heard the illustration about uh, your, your, your life being like rooms. And you have all these rooms and the Lord comes and he has freedom to access all these rooms and he can go anywhere he likes in them. And there's one room where the, where, the, where the door is locked. And he comes and he says, I want to go in there. And you say, well, well, not that one. Then the reality is you're in control, not him. You're sitting on the throne in your life. What you're doing is you're doing your thing and you're in charge. And we're deceived sometimes into thinking that we know better. Second, second problem that gets to us, is, I think, is fear. 
we get very fearful. You know, <clears throat> um, we fought hard for our independence and to live our own lives and do our own thing, and we're afraid to let anybody have control, including God. We're afraid to put ourselves in the place where uh, <clears throat> He is in control of our lives. We, we don't want to give that up. We want to hold on to the control of our lives. We want to hold on and be in that place where He's not in control. Uh, in our lives, and we're in control in our lives. Now, you know what? He's got a better plan. You say, but he could ask me to do anything. Well, that's true. If he's going to be in control, that's what it means. He can ask you to do anything. He can ask you to do whatever he wants you to do. And, and you've got to be willing to say, yes, Lord. I'll do it. That, that's what it means for him to be in control in your life. And you see, you can't be filled with the Spirit apart from being in the place where you let Him really have control of your life. You let Him really do what He wants to do in your life. There's no other way for it. I mean, <clears throat> what you're doing is uh, you're in the place where <clears throat> you're in fear. Then, then there can be unbelief. And unbelief really for us sometimes can mean that we, um, <clears throat> what's happening for us is, you know, we're not really trusting in Him. We're not trusting that God knows what's best. That's not a terrible place to be. But sometimes that's exactly where we are. We're not trusting that God knows what's best in our lives. We're not trusting that He is able to take control and to be in charge of us and to do the best thing in our lives. And there's unbelief that creeps in. Now, think about it. Can you really trust you to know what's best in your life? No, you, know, you often don't know what's best for your life. Really, when it comes to trusting him, don't you think that, that that makes every bit of sense in the world? And yet, unbelief can put us in the place where, <clears throat> where we, we want to be in control of our lives, and um, <clears throat> we're not trusting him. The only thing that can catch us is, is desire. We have desires, and we have plans, and we have issues, and we have things that we're looking forward to, and things we want to do, and <clears throat> we're looking at all those things in our lives, and because we have all these things that we desire and we want to ha make happen in our lives, we don't want to yield our lives to him and let him have control of them. You know, <clears throat> we've got an agenda. You know, it's kind of like this. <clears throat> you got something in your mind you want to achieve in your life, and it's, okay, okay, well, I'll tell you, well, when I've achieved that, then I will let God have control. But when, when I get this thing knocked out, when I get this thing sorted out, then I will let God have control of my life. It doesn't work that way. You see, <clears throat> what we've got to do, what letting the Spirit of God control us, so mean, control us means, means that we yield control to him. Like the song says, let him have his way with you. Sometimes <clears throat> we hold on to control of our lives for so long that we're weary and we're fed up and we're worn out. And, <clears throat> you know, we're just weary of it. And let him have his way with you. Yield to him. Let him have his way with you. See, the spiritual man is in that place. The spiritual man is in that place where what he's doing is <coughs> he's, he's yielded himself to God. He's letting God have control. And he's no longer got the burden on his shoulders. The burden is now on Christ. Okay, so whatever Christ wants to do, that's what we're doing. Okay, and if that's what I want to do, fine. If that's not what I want to do, that's fine too because he's in charge. Now, the difference, one of the differences between you and him is he never fails. Never, ever fails. You fail. I fail. 
but he never fails. So you know what? When I'm letting him control my life, I never fail. You say, but hang on a minute. What if you don't get to do what you want to do? That's not failure. Doing what he wants me to do is always success. No matter what that means in my life. It's always successful. <clears throat> we'll say persecution comes, and it probably will at some point uh, in our lifetimes, if not in our lifetimes, pretty soon after that, I think. But persecution comes, right? And um, here you are in the prime of life. You're, you're, you're ready to go. You're just starting your life. You've got a heart to live for God, and you want to serve God, and you're going to serve God, and you're filled with the Spirit, and they take you out and they shoot you. That's failure. No, it's not. That's success. That's failure because you don't get the things you, to do the things you want to do. But that's success because the Spirit of God gets the, to do the things He wants to do. Now, that's the worst possible scenario, okay? But in everything else in your life where you think you might fail, if that's what the Spirit of God wants for your life, it's not failure, it's success. Do you understand that? When Jesus went to the cross, that looks like such a failure, doesn't it? That looks like the ultimate failure. Here you have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and man, he doesn't show up like a King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in those moments. He shows up like a criminal that dies on a cross. And it looks like failure. That's part of the reason why Peter walked away. Man, that's a failure. That's not what we expected. The poor guys on the Emmaus Road, they are just tortured by it because that's not what they expected. We look back now and we say, oh yeah, listen, that's exactly what needed to happen because we'd all be going to hell if it didn't happen. That was the ultimate absolute success when Jesus Christ died to pay the price for our sins. So here's the point. When you yield yourself to him and he takes control, you always win. Always. You never lose. But you can't control it yourself and always win. The spiritual man's got that one down. He's come to the place where he's yielded it to him. You know, I sometimes just think of Moses. <clears throat> I remember Moses uh, in Numbers chapter 12. We won't look at it for time's sake, but in Numbers chapter 12, Moses is dealing with, <clears throat> uh, you know, Miriam and Aram have decided, Moses thinks he's so special. He thinks he is the man. He thinks he's the only one uh, that God speaks to. We're just as good as him. We can speak too. And I love Moses' response. I absolutely love it. None. No response. He doesn't react. He doesn't respond. He doesn't get bent out of shape. He doesn't get, uh, get on board and uh, you know, join the argument and tell them you are wrong. And get. He, doesn't, he just doesn't respond at all. He's not in the picture. You see, here's the reality for Moses. Moses is learning as he goes that it's all about God and it's not about me. And as long as I'm doing what he wants me to do, that's fine. And if he wants them to, to lead it, I think Moses would have said, well, terrific. Can I retire now? <clears throat> I, I think that's where he was. I think there was, there was no striving there for Moses at all. He wasn't striving to hold on to anything. All he was doing is, he was doing what the Lord wanted him to do. And you know what happened in the situation? God took it on board and God dealt with it. Now, why did God take it on board and God deal with it? Was it because he liked Moses more than he liked uh, Miriam and Aaron? No, that's part of it. But the reality is it was because Moses was the man that he trusted to do what he wanted. That's why Moses was the leader. Because he alone is faithful in all my house, is what God said. So Moses, God could trust to do what God wanted, not what Moses wanted. And, you know, 
That's the reality. When we, when we yield to the Spirit and let the Holy Spirit have control in our lives, we're doing what God wants us to do, not what we want to do. There's no edge on it. There's no sharp on it. We're doing what God wants us to do. There's no striving. We're doing what God wants us to do. And that's where we all want to be. That's where we all aspire to. That's, what, that's what, what we'd all like to be true in our lives, that we'd be in the place where we're spiritual, where God's in control. He's doing whatever he likes in my life, and it's okay. I'm winning. Yeah, sometimes I'm scared, but you know what? He's doing whatever he likes, and it's the best thing, and I'm winning. I'm a winner because I'm walking with him. doesn't matter how it looks to everybody else. I'm winning because I'm walking with him. That's the spiritual. That's the place where we want to be. But we have to get off the throne and let him be on the throne. And that means... I'm giving the keys of the car to him. That means I'm giving up control to him. I'm letting him take over. He's the one that's ruling in my life. That's the only place where I can be spiritual when the, spiritual, when the Spirit of God is working through my life and achieving what he wants to achieve. But I'm always a winner in that scenario. All right. <clears throat> now, uh, <clears throat> let's look at our second chart and then look at the verses that come after, right? Our third chart here. The carnal person. Those who have trusted Christ to pay for their sins, but are trusting their own efforts to live the Christian life. Carnal refers to flesh as opposed to the spirit. A carnal Christian lives in the energy of the flesh, not in the power of the spirit. Right? So here's what you've got. You've got Christ in this person's life because he's saved. He's not a natural man. Christ is not on the outside of the life. Christ is in his life. But self is on the throne in this person's life. Self is ruling in this person's life. Uh, it's, it's, it's not the Spirit of God. Uh, it's self. What he's doing is, he's doing his own thing. Now, understand this. He's not a natural man. We're not talking about somebody who's unsaved. We're talking about a church person here. That, that's who Paul's talking to. He's talking to you and me. He's talking to you and me, and he's talking to us about the idea of who's in control. Who's in charge? Who's on the throne of your life? Whose will are you doing? Are you doing mine or are you doing yours? Do you take and you, you, you decide when you'll do my will and when you don't, won't do my will? Who's in control of your life? That's the issue. The issue is who's actually uh, directing your life. Is it you or is it the Spirit? Now, <clears throat> I've done this, so I'm sure you can do it too. Right? I've striven to do good things for God... But it was me doing them. I wanted to do the right thing for God. But it was me that was doing it. And really, what I was doing is, I was doing my own thing for God. It's very possible for us to do that. That's religion. Religion is me doing good things for God. Scriptural truth is, I can't do anything for God. The best I'm ever going to do is yield myself to God and let Him do whatever He wants to do through me. I can't be in charge. I'm not capable of it. It has to be him doing what he wants to do through me. There's no other way around it. It's got to be that. It's that or nothing. Right? <clears throat> okay. Um, <clears throat> verse 1 of chapter 3 reads, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Right? So the carnal person uh, <clears throat> I, is a babe in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Now, what does Paul mean when he, when he says, I fed you uh, with milk and not with meat? Well, what he did was, he lowered down the spiritual truth so that they could take it. 
He brought it down. Now, what's strong spiritual truth? Um, you know, what's weak spiritual truth? Well, if you were here on Wednesday night, we talked about Kinsey and we talked about uh, the moral uh, collapse uh, of a culture. Right? And um, all the immorality that we live with uh, in our day. And that was, that was really strong teaching. But it's not strong spiritual truth. It's just basic truth. Strong spiritual truth is what we're talking about right now. What we're talking about right now is we're talking about real spiritual truth. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit. That's deep spiritual truth. And what Paul is saying to these people is, you know what, listen, because you haven't got this basic thing down in your lives, I can't really talk to you about a lot of things. There's a lot of things that are, actually, you, you just can't go there with me. You just can't see them. You just can't understand them. Now, let me illustrate it for you. Do you remember before you were saved when somebody would talk to you about salvation and you'd go, oh, groan. <laughs> oh, here they go again with this old rubbish. Do you remember that? I remember that so clearly. I, you know, I remember, I remember dreading Pastor Zemeski coming to our house and thinking, oh no, here he goes again. He's on his old bandwagon again. He's just talking that old rubbish. He was speaking the words of life, but I couldn't receive them. I, it wasn't until the Spirit of God did his work that I was able to actually see them. Now, the same thing is true with spiritual truth. You know, there's so much stuff that people have preached that went over my head. I love John Van Gelderen's expression. Uh, he, he, he used, to, he used to, to, to read Andrew Murray, and he would think, man, Andrew Murray, I mean, he, this is just rubbish. And he said, finally, when he, when, when he understood, when the Spirit actually showed him, he began to realize that it wasn't Andrew Murray that was rubbish, it was him that was rubbish, and it was just the, the, the truth was going right over his head. He wasn't seeing it. And that's what happens. We can't see spiritual truth because we're not spiritual. And we don't take it in. And the level of our reading and so on become, comes to the place where, you know, <clears throat> we're not able to take it in because we're not spiritual. Now listen, this is not a condemning type thing. This is a, hey, wake up. There's more available for you. This is, this is what God wants for you. Uh, this is, uh, there, there's great blessing here, right? Uh, <clears throat> so Paul said, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for you hitherto are you not able to bear it, neither yet are ye. For ye are yet carnal. Right? Now, carnal means fleshy. Now, if we were to go to Romans chapter 8, we'd see lots of things about carnal. Right? In Romans chapter 8, it talks about the idea, you know, he that is in the flesh cannot please God. If you're carnal, you can't please God. For, for the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is death. Now again, Paul's not speaking uh, in Romans chapter 8. He's not speaking to unbelievers. He's been, he started off in the book of Romans speaking to unbelievers, but he's brought it to the place where these people are saved. And now he's saying, listen, don't have a carnal mind. It's death. You can't please God with a carnal mind. You can't please God doing your own thing. It's impossible for you to do it. It needs to be spiritual. So he says, he says to these believers, these church people, for ye at carnal. And then he helps us. He says, For whereas there is yet among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Hmm. Really helpful to me. Right? Uh, envying. What is envying? Envying is looking at what somebody else has and thinking it's not fair that they have it and I wish I had it. You ever do that one? Do you ever envy somebody else what they have? Do you ever look at somebody else's things and say, it's not fair, I, I, I wish I had that. And, that, and that, 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 that spirit of envying comes up within you. Now, envying, we know, is 
the opposite of love, and it's the opposite of, of the Spirit, right? <clears throat> Through the Spirit is love. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us uh, that, <clears throat> that love envies not. When you've got envy in your heart over something somebody else has that you haven't got, what you need to do is, need, hey, that's a red flag. That is a red flag. I am not envying and spiritual at the same time. Now, here's the reality. <clears throat> we talked a few moments ago about Aaron and Miriam and Moses. Aaron and Miriam were envying what Moses had. Right, that's, listen, they were envying. And you know what happened to their, with their envying? Their envying uh, led to strife. Here's something else I've noticed about myself. Do you know when I'm striving and striving and struggling to make something happen? You know why I'm striving and striving and struggling? Because I'm not sure God wants to do it. I can't really trust him to do it. And I have to make it happen. Now, I've done a lot of that in my lifetime. I've done a lot of that striving to make things happen and because um, I wasn't really able to trust God to, to let it happen. Good things, mind you. And sometimes God even blessed them. But the striving was an indication, you know what? I was not trusting. That was me trying to make it happen. You see, in Numbers chapter 12, Moses is not striving. He doesn't have anything to strive for. You see, if Moses is surrendered to God and doing what God wants him to do, getting his commandments, getting his word from on high, and then telling it to the people, and moving on, there's nothing of him in it, what's to strive about? If God wants to move it and give it to Miriam and Aaron, so what? What's, what's the problem? There's nothing, absolutely nothing to strive about there. Moses is just in the place where, you know what? All i got to do is what God wants me to do. There's nothing to strive. But you know, when you're striving... When you're pushing, when you're trying to make it happen, there should be a check in your spirit. What am I doing here? What am I trying to make happen here? What am, I, am I trying to make this happen because God won't make it happen? Is God not able to make this happen? Am I not able to put myself in his hands? Take this great example of not striving. The Lord Jesus Christ. You can look through the Gospels, <clears throat> find a time that Jesus was striving, and you won't. Right? What you'll find, you'll find him in the temple. He was upset in the temple. But he wasn't striving. He was clearing the temple, and that was it. It was the will of God, and he was going to do it. And there was, there, there was nothing to, there was no fear of it failing. He was clearing the temple, and that was it. And he knew it, and everybody else knew it, and he cleared the temple. Now, the one time we might say that he strove was, he strove in the garden. But do you know why he was striving in the garden? Because his flesh did not want the cross. And do you know the reality? For him, it was actually a surrender issue. And he did surrender. And there was no more striving. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And the angels came and ministered unto him, and there was no more striving. You know, I think, way too often, what we're doing is we're striving to make things happen in our lives because we're just not sure God wants to do that. So we've got to do it. We've got to help them out. And there's such pressure that comes in our lives. We're striving. <clears throat> there's, there's envying, and there's strife, and then there's divisions. 
Um, <clears throat> let's read the rest of the passage there. For why one saith, I am of Paul, another I am of Apollos. Are you not, Apollos, are you not carnal? Now, Paul and Apollos were, were ministering together at some points, and then at other points they weren't. But, but here's the deal. <clears throat> uh, Paul was preaching the gospel. Uh, Apollos would come along, souls would get saved. And what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, listen, how come you're identifying with one party or the other? Take it back to Miriam and, and Aaron. You know, Miriam and Aaron, they, 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 there was two parties as soon as they, they got bent out of shape. There was the Moses party and there was the Miriam and Aaron party. And what happened was there was division. Now, God sorted out the division right quick because division is very bad for us. But, you know, when we get to the place where we're envying and we're striving and there's divisions, we're carnal and walk as men. We're just doing it like men do. And it never works. We wear ourselves out. It never works. You know what? <clears throat> if God's going to do something, he wants to enlist you in prayer and he wants to get you involved, but here's what he wants you to do. He wants you to do exactly what he tells you to do. He doesn't need you or I to cut a dash and make it happen. He doesn't need you or I to kind of decide, okay, here's what we're going to do, and, and, and to bring a plan to him for him to rubber stamp and we'll actually do it. What God wants is he wants in, in your life, he wants you to say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you say, Pastor, that sounds very lame. That sounds really lame. You mean, you mean I, just, I just wait for God to tell me what to do? I don't employ myself and do, do what I think is best in the situation? Yeah, that's what we need to do. It's not lame at all. It's the most powerful thing in the world. A human being yielded the infinite power of the Spirit of God is a pretty powerful creature. Much more powerful than we can be when we set about doing things our own way. But, but that's what it needs to be in our lives. It needs to be in the, we need to be in the place where it's, Lord, what do you want? It's not what I want. And you say, but hang on, Pastor, I, I'm not sure what God wants. Do you know why we're not sure what God wants? Because so often we're filled with what we want to do. So often we have plans. And it's, oh no, you mean I can't do that? But I want to do that. It's a good idea. So often what happens for us is we've got a plan and we want to achieve it. And God steps in and says, that's not the best. Now God's not going to force you. Say you're here this morning, right? <clears throat> You've got a plan for your life, you know. Uh, we'll just say you're in college and you're training. And I'm, I'm not talking about anybody. I don't know anybody out there who's in, who, who this is. All right? So if it hits you on the head, that's between you and the Lord, all right? But you've got a plan for your life, something you want to achieve, and you're in college and you're training for that. And, you know, uh, you've got you, you know, your life planned out. And, you're, and, and you're, you know, here, here's where you're going to be five years from now. And, and that's where you're going to be ten years from now. And you've got the whole thing planned out and mapped out and, and all the rest. And God comes into your life and says, you know, I don't want you to do that. I, I, I want you to do this. I want you to go to some Muslim country and preach the gospel there. And you say, oh, well, that's not what I want. No, I don't, I don't think I want that. I, I don't think that's God's plan for my life. I, 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 I don't want to do that. Now, the problem is God can speak, but you can't hear because you have a plan. That's very common for us. And we need to say, no, 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 not my will, but thine. Not my plan, but yours. You see, when I talk about being filled with the Spirit, two things happen for us, right? <clears throat> the first thing is this, oh yeah, I want that. And the second thing is, what's that going to cost me? Right, now, here, <clears throat> here's what happens. 
What it's going to cost you is everything and nothing. Because the everything you're thinking of is really nothing. When you want to be filled with the Spirit and you're willing to give up your way and your plan and all that you want to do and instead do what He wants you to do and step out of the life of being carnal, that's yes, you're saved, but you're running your own life and doing your own thing and step into the place where you're spiritual, that's your His servant willing to do whatever He wants you to do. You know what? God's able to step into that situation and take your life and do something amazing with it. And you say, but I can do quite a bit myself. I'm sure you can. <clears throat> but you know what? The quite a bit you can do is going to be wood, hay, and stubble in the end. What the Spirit wants to do is going to be gold, precious stones in that day. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. But where we've got to come to in this whole thing is we've got to come to the place where we say, okay, it's not what I want. But what you want, Lord. It's not my will, Lord. But your will, Lord. It's not my way. Yeah, you know, how many in this room have something in your life and you're looking and you're saying, This is not what I want? I'm gonna do everything I can to change it. I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna do something I I'm gonna do something to, to change it. You know, now listen, that is understandable. That's not something, oh no, I can't believe you're like that. That's wicked. That's perfectly understandable. Jesus was like that in the garden. I don't want this. I don't want this. I, Lord, change it. Change it. Take it away. But, but you know what? When it comes to the place where you surrender to God and you say, oh, Lord, if this is your will for me, if this is what you want, then this is what I want to. There's peace and there's joy and there's no more uh, striving and there's no more divisions and there's no more envying in your life. Because here's what God is doing in our lives. God is doing the very best that David O'Gorman can possibly have in my life. The biggest problem in David O'Gorman's life is that when David O'Gorman steps into the way, and I get something God didn't want in my life. Something I want. Th those are the problems in my life. The same is true for you. The life God has for you is the perfect life for you. And the question for you is, are you willing to trust him and say, yes, Lord, and accept it? Are you going to keep fighting and fussing and trying to change it and trying to turn it around and trying to get your own way? You see, if you're going to live like that, you're going to be carnal. It doesn't mean you're not saved. You know, it doesn't mean you, you kind of give up church and you go and you live in the world and you go, go nightclubbing and all the rest of it. It doesn't mean that. These people didn't do that. They were, they were in the church. But what Paul is saying to them is you're carnal. And if you want to look at a picture of carnality, take the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel came out of Egypt. And they spent 40 years going round and round and round in the wilderness. Oh, they built a tabernacle and they built all the furniture and, you know, they, they went around and around and around and they ate and they slept and they had children and they got married and they did all those things. But they went around and around and around and around. And when they all died, they were no further on. 
That's what happens to a carnal life. But a spiritual life is a life lived on the other side of Jordan. It's a life lived in the land of milk and honey. It's a life lived with blessing and with joy. It's not your life, but it's his. The reason they had to die in the wilderness is because they were so willful. They wanted their own way. They wanted to do their own thing. And God had to wait on a generation that would actually do his will. And he took them into the promised land. And you know what? If you'll come to the place where you'll give up wanting to do your own thing, give up wanting your own way, and yield to him, then he can fill you with his spirit. That's what it's all about. Now, <clears throat> I know you're here today and the spirit of God is saying to you, that's what you want. And maybe you're saying, yeah, that's what I want. Now, you may have some wrestling going on in your soul. You may be fighting against it. You, you, know, you can be fighting against all kinds of things in the situation. But that's what you want. That's who you want to be. You want to be this person that is used of God, that the spirit of God is controlling. There's only one obstacle to it. It's not the devil. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your kids. It's not your parents. There's only one obstacle. Your will. Will you surrender and let him have his way completely, absolutely? Nothing held back. Will you surrender and let him take all your plans and pitch them? And replace them with a much better plan of his? Or will you hang on in there? Will you hang on in there and what you'll do is there'll be envy and there'll be strife and there'll be division? And that's uncomfortable. That's downright miserable. Or will you be in the place where God can have his way, whatever he wants, I'm fine with? That's joy and blessing, unlimited. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, would you bless your people now? Lord, I, <clears throat> I don't know the heart of each one here, Lord. I don't know where each one is, but Lord, you do. Blessed Spirit, you know the heart of each one that's gathered. Now, Lord, I pray in these moments that you would overcome any barrier that stands between you and them. Lord, I pray that you would step in and that your voice would speak loud and clear. Lord, that no one would be able to, nor even want to hide from you. But that, Lord, you would step in and your hand and your power would work in each life. Now, blessed Spirit, would you do a great thing in these moments? Would you bless? Would you step in and do something that's going to be of eternal value? Lord, if one person in this room would put themselves in your hands and truly be filled with your spirit today, Lord, the impact would be eternal. Now, blessed spirit, would you do it? Would you undertake? Would you bless? In Jesus' precious name.